This episode is sponsored by Rulin Group. There are four gifts I've received over the years that really stood out, and the common link between all of them is each one was sourced through the Ruling Group. If you want to deliver amazing gifts that capture people's attention, go to GiversEdge.com to learn more. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, I'm speaking with Zvi Band. Now, Z runs Contactually, which if you're not familiar with it, you should take a look at it. It really caught my attention because it ties in so seamlessly with your email and yet gives you a lot of the power of customer relationship management or CRM tools. We're going to talk about some of the most common networking failures. We're going to talk about kind of false metrics that people use to measure performance and then the dirty secrets of CRM pitfalls that a lot of people candidly just don't talk about. I really had a blast talking to Zvi. I'm sure you're going to love this episode. Zvi Ban, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Ian. So I know that you guys have this great CRM platform, and obviously that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, but where are the big failures? Obviously, a lot of people rely on their CRMs for how they network with other people and how they connect to others and follow up and all that. What are the big failures that people generally make when it comes to networking? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the biggest failure, failure that I see when it comes to networking, and this honestly relates to marketing and sales in general, is the over-prioritization of meeting new people versus engaging with who you already know. You know, I, I think you know, I, for example, was guilty of this. You know, when I first was getting involved in, you know, post-college, I would go to all these networking events. And, of course, you know, you, it's really intimidating at first to kind of go and be exchanging business cards and meet new people. But you'd be so excited that you met someone new that you'd never actually talk to them again. And I see this happen over and over again where there's, there's overemphasis on meeting new people versus staying engaged with you, people who already know you. So, so it's, a, it's, a, it's an age-old notion of, okay, there's people that you're already connected to who you might add tremendous value to, but it's kind of the shiny object syndrome. I see something new when I gravitate towards that, and I forget the other person could be amazing. Absolutely. I mean, and it even just comes into comes into basic, like even just like talking to the people who have known you for years. You know, one of the you know one of the common things we see is you know we we work with a lot of let's say real estate agents, and when they're getting up and running and you know hanging hanging out their shingle for the first time, they kind of come to us and say, "All right, great. Well, you know, how do I meet new people? How do I get new leads?" And our very first question is, "Well." Have you told your friends and family that you're an agent now? Um, and they say, <laughs> no. Um, well, start with those people. Start with the people who already know you um, and then work your way outwards from there. That's where the real value comes in. Yeah. And so why is that something that you think people struggle with? I think because it's a lot of work, right? I mean, I think it requires a, an incredible amount of discipline to – not just kind of say dedicate an hour to yourself one afternoon to go to you know a networking soiree, but to really on a consistent basis you know and habit is the really important thing to engage and stay in touch with people over and over and over again versus you know looking at well let's just meet someone new because that seems to be easier. 
in the customer relationship management or CRM or Salesforce automation or SFA world, there are a lot of what I would call kind of false metrics and traps that people fall into that, that tracks more activity. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So I think in in CRM or even just networking con, uh, cons, consequences, it's oftentimes falsely focused around, you know, again, to your point, activity, like meaning how many emails am I sending? Um, what, uh, how many phone calls am I making? Um, who, like how many unique people am I talking to? And I think we, we tend to go for breadth, like breadth of activity, breadth of relationships. And instead, we should be focusing on depth. Right. You know, meaning like of the people that that we know, when was last time we spoke to them? You know, how many not how many relationships do we have overall or how many records we have in our CRM and our pipeline, but how many people have we spoken to in the last week? Right. And so I think that's that's something that people often miss out on is the focus on relationships and results instead of activity. This quote is often attributed to John Wooden, the longtime famous basketball coach for um, for UCLA, and he said, "Don't confuse activity for accomplishment." Absolutely, and that's what we look for. Now, I think there there are leading metrics that you know kind of sit between activity and accomplishment, like meaning like what are the quality activities or what are the leading indicators that your activity are work activities are working. So for example, you know, what is the open rate of your emails or what is the response rate, right? Who cares how many emails you're sending, but how many actual connects are you making and what is the impact that you're making on these people? Yep. And I think that part of it is almost like if we think of the different people we interact with in different categories or buckets, you know, I, I want to make this very actionable for, for our listeners. So how should, how should people out there who are either running a business or in a sales role, how should they think about how they categorize their different contacts? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the hard things that people see with relationships is they you meet so many people or you have so many contacts nowadays. You know, so for example, when people first sign up for Contactually, um, you know, we'll pull in something like on the order of like 3,500 different relationships. Obviously, not all of those are important. So we tend to walk people through a very simple process, which seems logical, but it still kind of requires you know, them kind of going through it, is really identifying first off, you know, not necessarily who's important and who's not or who's a bigger dealer deal versus other people, but really like identifying what are your what's your goal, right? You know, it might be to double revenue, it might be to increase referrals, it might be to um, speed up time to close or something like that. Um, who are the people or the types of people that can help you with that? And then stay in touch with just those people. And those are the relationships that we have you focus on. Less on like importance, but more on like, who are the people that are likely to help us with our goals? And that is a powerful mechanism because that actually ends up reducing the number of people that you're engaging with. Um, and you'll actually meet a lot of people in networking events or people that even like sending follow-up emails to, et cetera. And all of a sudden, when you walk through that framework, you realize, well, they're actually not really that important. You know, They're most likely not going to result in sale. They're most likely not going to result in referral. Um, and you just kind of let those people you know, kind of wither away. Sure. And, and when, when you talk about important, you basically mean important to, towards you reaching your goals. They may be perfectly fine people. 
but it's not someone you need to be focused on every day or every week because it's just someone you know. Exactly, right? You know, I, I met, like, for example, the uh, a couple weeks ago, I was on a panel with the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Really important person, right? But as I kind of thought through this framework in my head, I was like, this person's most likely not going to yield any any real opportunity. They're not going to help me with my goals. I can still maybe stay in touch with them once a year or so as kind of an interesting connection because, you know, who who knows when these may work out. But when it comes to actually, you know, helping helping my business, which is, you know, bringing thought leadership to Contactually, well, no, they, they don't fall in. They don't fall into one of those buckets. Yep. Got it. And and when I when I think about this idea of the different buckets or categories, so I've got people who I believe are going who are, let's say, opportunities, if you will, that I say, wow, this is someone who I think has a, there's a potential directly or indirectly for business um, is another one, for example, either influencers or or referral sources. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's it really depends on identifying how your business grows and who are the types of people that grow your business that can help grow your business. So for example, you know, in real estate, um, 85% of your business can come from existing referrals. So that's who you want to prioritize. And, you know, then thinking about kind of unpacking that, well, who are the types of people that will drive referrals to you? Well, those are past clients, obviously. They're friends and family. They're other vendors that I know in the space. And those are the people that you stay in touch with. So I think, again, it comes back to like mapping what your business goal is with the types of people that can help you with that. And then there are a myriad of like types of people or buckets of people that can help you with that. Think about those different buckets. So now, now we got, now we've got users who have said, okay, I get it. So now I've categorized all these people differently. And so now I know who's actually probably going to move the needle for my business. Who's a good referral source. Who's an existing client I've kind of lost touch with and might give me referrals. So for people who aren't using a CRM, they're not using Contactually, what are the big problems that they have that they face that cause those opportunities to just fizzle? Yeah, absolutely. So I think we have to kind of take a step back and, you know, obviously come to the come to the realization that there that human beings, you know, there's the time decay of memory. Right, and yep. therefore the time decay of relationships. And there's, uh, if you know, any of your listeners have heard of Dunbar's number before or haven't, it's uh, it's the idea that you know the human being can only kind of maintain around 150 relationships at a time, which is usually limited to like friends, family, and like you know the the coworkers that you work with. And so that's the biggest challenge is that you can have all of these different people that you know you should be talking to but in truth your mind is actually working against you and your you know and your targets your your potential customers minds are also working against you that you're actively forgetting and so that's why we kind of walk people through the well the best way to combat that is to maintain mind share which is the intersection of cadence, you know, making sure that you're staying in touch in an appropriate periods, and more importantly, that you're delivering value. So they actually think highly of you, and they would think of you, and they would come back to you and work with you at some point in the future. Yeah. So, so that begs the question: so how does someone create that kind of value with these 
uh, with these opportunities and how do you stay top of mind? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it, it comes to the level of importance of a relationship. So, for example, you know, Ian, you can be honest. You know, I'm not necessarily that important to you. You're not going to be inviting me for Friday night dinner anytime soon. But uh, actually, actually, we may. But that's a okay, whole other fine, thing. Right. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, I might be like a lower priority person. So, I, I think the base level of following up is just simply like sending a quick email, right? You know, or like or doing a social action like liking on Facebook or commenting on one of their articles, right? You know, again, you know, it takes next to nothing. You know, you can easily just like pull up a email template that you've used before just to send off a quick email. Um, surprisingly, that's the hardest thing for people to do is like if they don't know what to say and they're not necessarily sure how important that person is, there's this fear of like, I'm too afraid of about what to say that I never actually engage with them. And that's why we prompt people to say, hey, if nothing else, just say hi. Just say thinking of you. Just t- check in. Hope all is well. You're really not as annoying as you as you may think you are. And, and it's and it's and it's funny because in that in that top of mind space, I often get clients who say, you know, gee, we, we talked to this person about this project, but we haven't heard back. What should we do? And I jokingly say the typical follow-up it usually sounds something like, hey, just uh, just want to check in and see if you made a decision yet. And when you do that, you're basically a tin cup and a cardboard sign away from begging. <laughs> exactly. Right? It's like, you know, at that point, you're begging for business instead of, hey, we talked last time you had this. I just want to make sure I hadn't dropped the ball. I hope you're doing well. And just end it and send it. And guess what? If you pique their interest, they're going to reply to you. And if you didn't, well, you learned something there also. You learn nothing if you don't send the contact. Exactly. I mean, honestly, like, you know, almost like to some extent, regardless of like the type of contact, you know, if they're not if they're not interested in you, they're probably not going to respond anyways. So kind of you know, it's finding a way to like stoke the conversation in some basic way. Again, even like saying just thinking of you or like you know, hope all's well. Just wanted to you know see if you had any open questions. You know, it's still it's still better than nothing. Um, on top of that, I think that's when you can start layering in value. Right. Um, you know, the highest value that you could provide is, you know, providing introduction or, you know, buying them tickets to the Caps game or something like that. Um, but I think there are interim levels. And one of the things that we find very, very po- powerful is the ability to, in whatever tool you're using, it could just be in your head, it could be in Contactually or, you know, your CRM or your Outlook address book to kind of record personal notes. And to use those personal notes as a way to leverage and show that you have some real personal interest, right? So I think, you know, a basic thing is, you know, so for example, Ian, you know, you mentioned, you know, in passing earlier that, uh, that you're about to buy a Tesla, which is awesome. I'm incredibly jealous of you. I've rented one for the day. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> but, you know, what if, you know, I, I'm trying to follow up with you in three months, if I just say, hey, Ian, yo, hope all's well, yo, just checking in, how, how's life? Um, oh, that's basic, you know, that's, that's level one. But if, you know, I really want to show that I care about Ian and I'm really trying to build a relationship with him and say, by the way, how's your Tesla? Have you let your daughter drive it yet? Right. And yeah. all of a sudden that, that elevates it to like, wow, Zvi really actually like remembers like these key points about me. Um, that is, I think, one of the bigger missing pieces that people often don't realize is that showing that you have some personal connection to them really matters. 
Yeah, well, and it's funny because our, our listeners should know that, you know, Zvi and I have known each other for a number of years, and we're at a, we're at an event recently um, with this cadre group that we both have new members of, and we saw each other from across the room and never actually spoke at the event. And the way this podcast episode came about was Zvi sent me a note that didn't say, "Hey, I want to come on your podcast" or "I want to talk about this." He just said. Hey, we, you know, we, we, you know, I saw you across the room. I meant to come over and say hi, and we never connected. And I was thinking to myself, man, he'd be a great guy to have on the podcast. I'm so glad that he reached out. But had you not initiated that, I, I probably would have at the next event, I would have seen you and said, oh man, I meant to reach out to V, and I didn't do it. Absolutely. And you actually mentioned even dropped another thing where I think sometimes people feel that like in order to get value, you have to ask. And it's not always. I think it's important to like let people know what you're looking for in general. But like, I didn't have to ask you to be on your podcast, right? You know that I'm the type of person that like you know, would jump at the opportunity to be on a podcast and to deliver to, to deliver some value to an audience. But I so I didn't need to even ask for it. Um, so I think that those kind of tips become really powerful that you just have to like make sure that you're staying relevant to people and that people know what you're looking for and uh, good things come from that. Yeah. And you, so you mentioned this idea of you're delivering value. You want to stay top of mind. So in, in, in some instance, it could just be a quick email. It, when you get to higher value, it's when you're making an introduction that can benefit them or it's something where you might be inviting them to some sort of activity or event, sending them tickets, scheduling a dinner, whatever. And I love that idea of recording personal notes that make it so that the connection is a little bit more genuine and more personal so it doesn't feel like they're just being spammed when you contact them. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's kind of what it's going to our earlier point where we're talking about habit and r- repetitive action. Um, it takes a lot of work to be able to do that. But uh, that to me is like the ability to at the end of the day or when you have five minutes in between meetings to open up like an app on your phone and kind of tap out a couple quick notes or even like record some voice notes or something. Um, that is really valuable. And that kind of stuff, again, it takes the habit to get into that ritual and pattern. But uh, you gain so much more by doing that. Yeah, love it. Now, obviously, as the um – as as the guy behind Contactually, you know, there's what do you guys have a hundred thousand users? Is that right? Something like yep, that. Just about right. So so a pretty good size audience of users, and so um, so people look and say, wow, you know, you must be all about the world of CRM and what's great about it. So let's take this a slightly different way. And what are the dirty little secrets of CRMs? And what are kind of the problems of CRMs that, candidly, you guys may or may not overcome, but just in general, what are the pitfalls of CRM? Yeah, absolutely. I think CRM, I think one of the first pitfalls is that CRM is such a broad category. And right now, you know, with Salesforce and Microsoft Dynamics and Sugar CRM and Zoho being kind of the big players in the space, people get, people gravitate towards those. But actually, there are, a plethora of CRMs, and it really it comes down to finding one that fits your business need. And I think too often people think, okay, I'm in business, businesses need a CRM, okay, I'm going to go sign up for Salesforce, and they fail, right? And they fail yeah. kind of for two reasons. One is 
tools like Salesforce, like if you were to kind of come up with the, the exact terminology for them, they're, work, they're workflow automation, right? They are meant to handle a specific workflow that a enterprise is trying to use. And it's, and it, it helps you construct that workflow and helps people track against that workflow. Um, and, and by the way, and by the way, I've got to believe V that there are people that come to you and you say, actually, you don't need what we have. You need more like what Salesforce has. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that to me is one of the key keys in business, right? It's not necessarily who you bring on, but it's also who you don't bring on um, and identifying your strengths. So yeah, we'll have a lot of people that are looking for, you know, really heavy duty reporting and administrative functionality. And we're saying, yeah, that's not our tool. You know, our tool is for empowering end users to stay engaged with their key relationships, um, whatever they may be. Um, it sounds like you're looking for something more like a Salesforce automation tool, you know, why don't you go over here and use one of those? So we're happy to recommend people to other tools. Yeah, it, there's an article I wrote um, not too long ago that talked about that that said, what's the best CRM for your business? And the, and the conclusion was, whatever one your team will actually use. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I could not agree with that more. And that's, uh, that to me is one of the, I think, dirtiest secrets of CRM is that most people don't like using CRM because most CRMs that people use aren't actually built for them. You know, meaning yeah. that traditional enterprise software like you know, Salesforce, for example, and it works really well. And we even use it for managing our sales team because that's the best tool for it. Um, but if you're trying to manage a, manage a sales process, it's great. But if you're trying to actually get end users to self-adopt a platform, then it's not built for you. It's Salesforce is built mainly for the managers to manage workflow and to get the reporting they need. So, for example, if you were to go to, let's say, a large law firm and try and roll out Salesforce, well, they'd laugh at you. Why? Because you know there's no sales manager in a law firm saying, hey, everyone has to use Salesforce and force compliance on it. Um, you actually need something that the actually helps the end user and helps them do their job better. And so that's kind of one of the reasons why Contactually, from the ground up, was built not for the manager, but for the end user to help them with their business. Well, and, and most, most of what you guys do is centered in their email and calendar rather than centered in your own world. It's more, look, when someone's already in email and they send a note, if you're just tracking it, then the user didn't have to actually do anything proactively. You're doing the work for them. Exactly. Like so, you know, traditional CRMs, there is a lot of manual data entry, right? You know, you're you have to manually log every task, every note, every phone call. Well, our attitude, again, because we're end user centric, we said, well, how could we actually do that without having them enter in anything? And I think the magic, and we're living in this absolutely amazing time where pretty much every touch point we have, to the point of even you know, Ian and I meeting at an event, has some kind of digital footprint. And so the ability for a system to pull that in you know, completely eliminates the need for you to manually log every single contact and every phone number and every call you make. And uh, it, it's, it's really exciting to be an end user of CRM these days. It's funny because one of the one of the pet peeves I have is uh, obviously I work with a lot of businesses on how they're growing, and 
the marketing department will come to me and say, well, so what do you think, what should we do? Because here's all this information, our salespeople won't gather it. And I always ask the same question. I said, well, how does that information you're asking them to collect help the salespeople do their jobs? Exactly. And, and marketing looks and says, no, 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 this isn't for them. This is for us. And I said, okay, but they're not a marketing assistant. So they don't care. That, that you want that information because guess what? If they don't hit their number, their boss is going to fire them. And they can't say, oh, look, you can't fire me. I collected 27 fields of data yesterday. Exactly. And, and why and why are they using it? So you know, they kind of equate it to like you know, CRM usage. Oh, it's just more data you have to collect in the CRM. Well, why are they entering data into a CRM? Because honestly, that's the only way their sales manager is going to pay them, right? Um, yeah. So they're looking. So they're looking at that versus you know actually closing business. So uh, yeah, that's it's it's really interesting to kind of see that most people don't realize that again the best CRM is one you use, and unless you have the pressure of a top down organization to basically kind of force compliance your team has to very quickly find a CRM that will actually be one that end users get value out of and therefore actually use. Yeah, it's interesting. In um, you know, I ran software companies in the past, and I used to, uh, you know, our goal for any piece of software, when people said, well, what, what's your guys' goal for this product? We said, we want this to be the software of choice by the users who it's designed for. So I don't want it to be something that IT built or that management imposed. I want it to be the one that if you let people pick inside the organization, they would pick ours. Not because it has the coolest back end or this, but from an end user perspective, wow, this is really easy and helps my job. Now, where do you see kind of the evolution of CRM over the next, let's say, you know, five years? Yeah, I think two ways. I think one is, you know, we're seeing across pretty much every part of software, um, this consumerization, right? The consumerization of the enterprise. And it's really adopting this methodology that a enterprise end user is just a consumer at work. And therefore, they're kind of you know, going to be expecting consumer-like tools, right? Um, we've seen that with like you know, Slack and Dropbox and HipChat, et cetera. But CRM, surprisingly, its largest overall IT expenditure um, it passed ERP this year, I think. But it's still something that is still very much sold top-down. That will change very, very rapidly. So we'll see a point where CRM, by flipping it around, you know, it'll completely disrupt existing tools or existing tools will have to very quickly adapt. And at the same time, by having something that actually helps the end users, we're able to enter markets where CRM has been unsuccessful. You know, so, for example, our biggest competitor that we face when going into a new business isn't Salesforce. It's an Excel spreadsheet, right? Um, yeah. So I think it's one. And two, I think it's, you know, it's addressing that there are many different types of sales processes Right. I mean, you know, again, Salesforce and Pipedrive, et cetera, they're focused on more transactional sales, like where it's kind of, you know, click goes from point A to point B and that's it. Well, what happens when it's an ongoing relationship, right? When you're trying to not only close the business initially, which could take months or years, but you want repeat business, you want referral business. And it focuses much more on the relationship between buyer and seller versus. Trans, the transaction of it. 
Yep. Got it. Yeah. And that's, you know what, I think it's, it's incredibly valuable for people. I mean, I, I'd encourage people to take a look. If I recall correctly, they can, they can try contextually for free, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, we might not be a fit for everyone, but if you're in a relationship driven business, you know, you're welcome to uh, give it a spin for 30 days and see if it's a fit for you. Yeah, cool. So let me ask you this. What's the, in, in your business, cause obviously you're, you're running a business that now is, has become quite successful. What's the biggest challenge that you've experienced in your business that other people could learn from? I think it's the need to be ruthlessly decisive. And I think at any point we can look and what we can almost trace it back to we were afraid to make a decision or we did not make a clear decision at some point. Um, you know, so for example, it could be about um, who the ideal customer is, or should we build feature A or feature B? Oh, well, let's build a little bit of both, right? Um, so I think you know, one of the key lessons, and this is something that we still learn to this day or still see the ripple effects of, is when faced with a decision um, of which way to go or where to focus or where to steer the ship, to very quickly come to a decision and stick with that decision. Um, versus thinking that you can have your cake and eat it too. That's that's great insight. And and finally, what's the best way for our audience to track you down and get a hold of you? I'm sure it's raised a lot of questions for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. So you can just uh, see us on Twitter or on uh, on the web, just contactually, C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-A-L-L-Y. Or uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Skivas. Excellent. Why don't you spell that? And we'll have that in the show notes. Yeah, it's uh, S-K-E-E-V-I-S. All right. Excellent. All right. Well, Zvi, this was great. Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom here. And um, I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks so much for having me, Ian. I love getting straight information right from Zvi about what's really going on in the CRM industry. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the things I think you can take away and use in your business right away. First, remember these networking failures. Too often we focus on new customers and don't provide enough attention or engagement with our existing clients. It takes work and discipline. Second, remember Dunbar's number. You can't manage more than 150 relationships at a time, so don't try to. Instead, try to make sure you're connecting with the right people. Finally, the dirty secrets of CRM pitfalls really comes down to the notion that most people don't like using CRMs. Most salespeople don't feel like being data entry people, and instead, if you can capture the intelligence within your communications, you'll be much better off. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If you think there's a topic I should cover, if there's a guest you think I should have on the show, just fire me a note directly at ian at ianaltman.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Ian Altman, and of course, check out all the updated information that you can't get on the show here at ianaltman.com. Would love it if you subscribe to the show. That really helps drive our position in iTunes. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.